Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. This sermon series is inspired and shaped by a book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, Moving from Shallow Christianity to Deep Transformation by Peter Scazzaro. Today's sermon complements chapter five, Embracing God's Gift of Limits. And if you're not following along in the book, that's okay. You don't need to follow along in the book. These sermons are designed to complement what is written in those chapters, but not necessarily um, designed in a way that you have to read the chapter to follow along. Now, if you want a broader understanding of the topic, then you're more than welcome to get that book and, and read it. Imagine picking up a book with no margins, no spaces between the edge of the paper and where the words begin. Imagine there were no spaces between the the lines, the sentences. Imagine there's no spaces between the words. Imagine there were no spaces between the letters. It was just, you opened up the book and it was wall-to-wall words. If you opened up a book and started reading it like that, you would feel like you were going mad. But the crazy thing is, it would be more efficient and it would be wiser economically when we publish books to use every space that we have on the page, but it wouldn't be healthy for us. It would make things difficult when we were trying to read. It would give us a headache, it would give us anxiety. Imagine listening to, listening to music that was just wall-to-wall noise from the moment the, the song began to the end of the song. Every instrument just going all out, every vocalist, like no no space at all where things slow down or get more quiet or other, some instruments aren't playing while others are, just wall-to-wall sound. I think it was Mozart who said the music is not in the notes but in the silence between the notes. When I preach, I intentionally speak in a way that feels or ought to feel spacious. And that's because I think we live in a world that is wall-to-wall information. You could be learning new things, reading new news every second of every day and not read the same thing twice. Wall-to-wall, an avalanche of information. So I don't want you to feel like when you come in here and I begin speaking, it's an avalanche of words I'm just spewing out to all of you. It's better to have moments of quiet. That can feel really awkward for the, the speaker sometimes, but it's a more restful and easy way to listen to a message because you have space to ponder and to think. Margin is a type of limit that we set for ourselves. A a limit that's meant to help us be wholeheartedly immersed in a book or in music that we're listening to 
or in a sermon or in a conversation. God has given us limits to help us be better human beings, to help us be healthier and vibrant and more alive as human beings. And what I want to do this morning is link this notion of limits with our capacity to care for others exquisitely well. So my, my thesis statement for today is living within our limits enables us to exquisitely care for the person in front of us. Living within our limits enables us to exquisitely care for the person in front of us. And in order to talk about this and to unpack this a little bit with scripture, we're gonna look at the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, if you are someone who is, I just looked down at you guys through my glasses, I guess my daughter's like, quit looking at us through the, bottom, through the top of your glasses. I just did that to Hector, my bad man. I was looking, I'm not like mad at anybody, it's just it's easier to do that. I'm still getting used to these things. So, where was I? All right, so when we're talking, I gotta honestly figure out where I was. Oh, that's right. If you are interested in learning how to teach the Bible, if you're interested in learning how to lead a Bible study, just looking at scripture and helping people understand it, uh, I wanna tell you something about parables. If you're not interested, you're never gonna do that, you can check out for a couple minutes, I'll let you know when to come back, all right? So just check out. If you're interested in teaching scripture, here's the thing. When you talk about parables, um, there's usually a surprise. Like Jesus will say something that everyone's listening like you are to me, and then Jesus will say something and everyone will be like, wait, 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 what did you say? What was that? Wait, it was how much money? It was who that did that? Like there is always a shocking, or 95% of the time, a shocking surprise tucked away in a parable that us reading it today probably wouldn't see, but in their time they would be shocked. And then when you're also trying to teach a parable, so your job is to figure out what that is, but then you're also understanding that Jesus was trying to make one point, typically, when he was teaching a parable. There was one major thing that he was, one major point that he was trying to get across, which means you have to exercise great caution when allegorizing details of a parable. What I mean by that is assigning symbolic meaning to minor details in a parable. You just have to be really, really careful about that because that isn't typically the intent. It's usually one thing he's trying to communicate. However, I think with this parable, we can get away with it. I think this parable is unique in some way that lends itself that we can actually look at some of the details and get some significant meaning out of it. Okay, but this isn't a typical way that you would teach a parable. Actually, I wouldn't do this if it was probably any other parable. So, now, if you're anybody, you're not interested in teaching the Bible, you're not interested in that stuff, you can come back, you can come back now and, and start paying attention again now. Luke chapter 10. We're going to start with verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And we can already see here the destructiveness 
of people who don't live within their God-given limits. Because in a million different ways, when we don't live within our God-given limits, we do violence to other people. In a million different ways. This is a big, obvious way. But we do this in all sorts of ways. The mess and the crazy of our life, because of our lack of limits, spills out into the people around us. Usually into the people that are closest to us. And we end up having people around us having to carry the crazy of our life because we can't manage it on our own. But this one is a little bit more overt. He act, these people actually robbed this man. This is the first time in the story this man was sinned against. Why does someone rob someone else? Because they're not satisfied with their current living conditions. They want more. And in, instead of accepting that I have a deficit of where I would rather be with my resources, I'm going to force someone else to have a deficit from their resources so that I can have their stuff. It's the, it's the very opposite of love. All of the Ten Commandments. Like, so stealing from someone is the opposite of loving them. This man was robbed. The Eighth Commandments don't steal. The Tenth Commandments don't covet your neighbor's stuff. He broke both of those. Not living within your God-given limits will cause you to do violence to other people. Verse 31. Now by chance, it's an interesting choice of words, Jesus. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So this man is going from Jerusalem to Jericho. They're about 17 miles apart. Jerusalem is the city on a hill. It's a higher elevation. Jericho's down here, and this man, this priest, was traveling down this hill. He's, it's, a, it's a treacherous place. You probably shouldn't do it alone at that time, but he's traveling down this road to get to Jericho. And at that time, it was common for a lot of the priests who served in the temple in Jerusalem to live in Jericho. So this man was coming back from serving in the temple in Jerusalem, more than likely, which tells us why he wasn't interested in getting involved in this person's mess. A priest was, if he came into contact with, uh, this man was half dead, he might have thought he was dead. If he came into contact with this person, then he would be disqualified to serve in the temple for a season. So if he's going from Jericho to Jerusalem, if he was going up this path and he saw this dead person, he, he might, or half dead person, he might avoid because you know, he might do something to help out, but he's not going to touch the person because he, wants, he doesn't want to be disqualified from working in the temple. But he's coming down the road, which means he's going back to Jericho, which means he's done with his temple service, and there is really no reason why he can't lend a hand. That's an important detail in this parable. Now, he goes to the other side of the road. Why does he do that? Well, Pharisees added this additional understanding of touching the corpse because they always added stuff. That's what legalism is. You add stuff to what God prohibits. You're adding your own little things and saying that that's how everyone's supposed to live. The Pharisees said, if there's like a corpse right there, not only can I not touch it if I'm a priest or a Levite, I can't even let my shadow touch it 
It's very superstitious in a lot of ways. The religious leaders back then were super superstitious. I can't even let my shadow touch it because if my shadow touches it, it's the same as me touching it myself and I'm, I'm now disqualified. So he goes to the other side of the road so even his shadow doesn't touch this, this person. There were a lot of rules that they had and a lot of these rules were designed as an excuse to not get involved in other people's messes. And the lesson for us is there's a difference between man-made limits and God-given limits. If I'm using my self-imposed limits and rules in order to avoid having to get involved with someone else's unfortunate circumstance, that's not loving. So imagine I have this rule. This is a pretty good rule. This is a pretty good, wise way to conduct yourself in these things. Is What if I say, I will not ever ride in the car alone with another woman who's not in my family. That's a, that's a pretty wise, intelligent standard. There's a lot of good in that. But say I'm... I'm like at a pastor's conference out west and I'm, in, I'm driving through Death Valley and there's a, a lady alone on the side of the road and her car broke down. And I stop and I'm like, she's like, I've been here for hours. You're the first car that's come by in a long time. Thank you so much. I need water. My car's, I just don't know what the problem is. It overheated and it, I don't know what to do and I just, I just need a ride to the next town. What happened in this parable would be equivalent to me saying to that person, I feel really, really bad for you. I feel really bad about this. I got this rule. I can't, you can't ride in my car. You know, I don't ride with other women alone. Um, and so I'm going to be praying for you. And I really hope that someone comes along and helps you. I, I, my hands are tied, sorry. And then I, that's the equivalent of what, these, of what this priest did to this person who was on the side of the road. The point of living within our God-given limits is not to give us an excuse to not care for the person in front of us. God-given limits are actually intended to help us care far better for the person in front of us. And we'll get into more details of that when we get to the good example, the Good Samaritan. Verse 32 so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Levites were, well, priests would have been Levites, but not all Levites were priests. Levites were people that God had chosen of the 12 tribes of Israel to live off of other people's generosity and giving. Other people would give to the temple. The Levites would live off of other people saying, here's some land for you to build on. We're going to help you build your house. Here's some, here's some finances. We're going to make sure that you eat. We're going to make sure your family eats. Like, Levi's were people who were intended, who were created to depend solely on other people's generosity to God and his church. So, you would think that he would be a little bit more open to helping someone who was in need, because he himself was dependent on other people. But, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side too. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. By the way, this is the surprise element. 
Ultimately, Jesus is the Samaritan that helps all of us on the side of the road in need. That's the gospel. But the surprise in this passage is Jesus was redefining the um, Israelites, the Jewish people's understanding of what neighbor is. Because if I'm a, a religious leader for the Israelites, I'm teaching you that your neighbor is anybody who else, anybody else who is also a Jewish person or Israelite. That's who your neighbor is. Like the rest of the world, no, but your neighbor is, you love the people in your family. And, and Samaritans were despised. They were seen as a little less than human. They were considered to be dogs. They were hated. There's a long history there. Too much for us to talk about now. But for them to hear that a Samaritan, it wasn't the pastor, it wasn't the lay leader, it wasn't anybody else in the church, it was a Samaritan that helped this person, that would have been shocking and very offensive to the listeners. Jesus would say things that would offend you, <laughs> that offend me. That was the surprise. But I want you to notice the Samaritan's immediate visceral response. What was his immediate response? Compassion. That would not have been the case if he wasn't living within his limits. Here's something that I want you to take away from, from this teaching, and I've said this before, but man, we are in an epidemic of busyness that never seems to slow down. We all have to have busy periods of life. I mean, that happens. It just happens seasonally. But if you are always living at a breakneck speed, then you're not going to be able to have compassion on people. Here's the statement. Busyness is like kryptonite to compassion. Busyness is like kryptonite to compassion. Just think back to a particular time in your life when it was wall-to-wall-to-wall activity for a very, 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 very long season, like years. A time when you had more on your plate that you could say grace over. Now imagine you're in the middle of that season, you're out running errands and you see someone in need. Is your first response compassion? Your first response is figuring out how you can avoid this person's mess. Now we can't love others well if our lives are constantly, constantly overflowing with activity. If we don't live within our God-given limits. The Samaritan apparently wasn't blurring through his life because he stopped, he got involved. Verse 34, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The Samaritan feels like a person with ample space and resources. He takes the time to bind his wounds. He uses the overflow of his own oil and wine both symbolic of the Holy Spirit in Scripture and both symbolic of joy in Scripture. He cares deeply for this person in need. Many of us, I'm preaching to the choir, are too exhausted to worry about other people's needs. We have a hard enough time keeping up with our own needs. It's like what Charlie said to Maverick in the first Top Gun, which I, by the way, cannot endorse that from the pulpit, but she has a great line to Maverick, she says, you're not gonna be happy unless you're going Mach 2 with your hair on fire. 
Living at Mach 2 has become a virtue. And I love living at that pace because then I don't have to deal with stuff or with other people. And, but when we perpetually live that way, we end up doing things like binging on Netflix rather than being able to be attentive to the needs of the people around us. So I want to read a great quote. And if you want this quote, then email me or email info at Southside, and I'll make sure you get it. It's a really good quote. I forgot to include it in the bulletin um, when I send my stuff in this week, but it's a really good quote. It's by Kelly Capic. Capic, Capic, it's K-A-P-I-C. Read everything you can by that guy. He's brilliant, and he's accessible. He's enjoyable to read. He says this, people are looking at Facebook and endlessly watching Netflix because of a deeper problem. We set unrealistic expectations and then they wear us out and we can't keep up. This is a theological problem, not a time management problem. What if we stopped thinking of life as to-dos and started thinking of it as relationships? When we're so task-driven, it's very hard to appreciate love because love is incredibly inefficient. Love is incredibly inefficient. You look at the life of Jesus, he was not an efficient human being. Incredibly inefficient, inefficient by our standards. And Kelly goes on, and we all love efficiency. Perhaps it's one of our idols. He says, making efficiency our highest value is often dehumanizing. Being task-oriented instead of relationship-oriented is one of the ways that we step outside of our God-given limits. One of the things I really like about warm-weather climates, uh, cultures, is that they are relationally driven. As opposed to cold-weather climates, which are generally... Um, task, achievement oriented. I was doing ministry in a warm weather climate in another country once, and uh, we were staying at this hotel, and the guys dropped us off, and they were going to pick us up the next morning. It, we're a cold weather climate, you know, team, so we're we're asking. Give us some of the details here, like give us what time, or what time does this pastor's conference start would be a good, good detail to have. What time are we starting tomorrow? And they looked at each other, just started kind of laughing. They looked at each other and were like, ah, 10, let's say 10. We're like, okay, <laughs> all right, so you'll be picking us up. It's an hour and a half to get there, so 8, like what, what time are you going to picking us up? And they said, we'll have breakfast here first. Okay, so what time are you going to come have breakfast with us? Uh, at breakfast time, like, which is <laughs> like we were, we kept trying to get like, well, give us specific, give us numbers. We work really well with numbers. And they said, we'll be there at breakfast time. And they just left. We didn't think it was very funny. We weren't sure what time to be down there. We were down there for like an hour and a half before they showed up the next morning for breakfast. We're eating breakfast. Finally, it's like 9.45 and one of us says, is it like an hour and a half to get there? Is that what you said? Because it's like 9.45. We should probably get going. And their attitude was, the conversation's not finished yet. Why would we do that? We're still telling stories and laughing. Aren't you having fun? Like, yeah, but we got this thing to accomplish. 
So finally, we get on the road, and we stop, and we're like, no, we're good. We can keep going. We don't, nobody needs to use the bathroom. We're, we're just ready to work, man. We're good. And they said, no, cappuccino break. <laughs> so we sat for another half hour having his cappuccino. I mean, like, this, is, this happens like every couple hours in this country, and it's a beautiful thing. And then we got there. Nobody was there yet. They didn't end up coming until later in the afternoon. And they just moseyed in. We sat down. We led this thing. And they are like one of the most fruitful countries for the kingdom right now in the world. The things that are happening is just unbelievable. And they don't keep a schedule. It doesn't make sense to me. Here's the thing. I said this earlier, but you do get the sense when you follow Jesus through the Gospels that he was not that he was very much a warm weather climate person. He was relationship oriented. A word that I would not use to describe Jesus, at least as it relates to how we think of it, is efficient. Jesus was not efficient, so much so that he annoyed people even back then for not hurrying up. The disciples were always telling Jesus, hurry up, we gotta get to this place, we gotta go do this, and Jesus was just like, "Let's let's just go be alone for a bit. Warm weather climate. Living within our God-given limits enables us to be relationship-oriented rather than task or achievement-oriented. Now, this is an important element in us living within our God-given limits because we notice that we often go off track when we are neglecting caring for the people closest to us. it's It's like a shining red light on the dashboard. I know that I'm starting to be efficiency-oriented, task-achievement-oriented when I see the people closest to me being neglected by me. I'm realizing that it's just a, this is a problem, Greg. This is a problem. It's an invitation from Jesus to repent and say, okay, help me to reorient and not be so efficient, but to be more concerned about caring for the person in front of me. There are things to accomplish in life. You would be overreading this if you told me that we're just supposed to hang out with each other all the time. Because God did put humanity in a garden and say, work the garden. Do stuff. We are supposed to do that. But all in the context of togetherness and all in the context of going on a walk in the cool of the day, in the dusk, when the Lord comes to walk with us. Work was done in the garden, and they also went on walks with God. Let's go to the next, verse 35. And the next day he took out two denarii, one denarius is one day's wage, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So he takes the person to the hotel. He pays for him to stay. He gives two days wages to this person. He wants him to have a a bed to sleep in. He wants him to have food. He wants someone to oversee him, to care for him. And he tells the innkeeper, "Whatever, whatever extra you spend beyond this two days wages, I'll take care of it. Just look after him. I gotta go, I got some business to do. I got some things to do. I've got tasks that need to be accomplished that is important, but not more important than this guy. So when I come back, I'm going to pay you whatever you had to, whatever deficit you absorbed financially. I'll I'll make up for it. Notice the Samaritan didn't actually put his life on hold. He didn't make saving this person 
the new identity of my life. I'm the type of person that saves this person. And it's going to affect every aspect of my life. I'm putting my life on hold completely to make sure that I rescue this person. You know what that's called? Codependency. Your identity is, I'm going to fix this person's situation. That's not what it is. It's giving dignity to the person in need by saying, I am empowering you and releasing you. You are competent for your life, and I'm going to help you get over this little hump. On the other end of that spectrum, sometimes we don't help someone because we feel like if we do it for them, we have to do it for everyone. And so we just say, we're not going to do it for anyone. But who made up that rule? Who says that has to be case? Like, if you do something nice for this person, then it gets out, then you got to do that for everybody. That's not how it works. I don't know where that came from. Andy Stanley, who is a pastor whose niche is kind of practical, general wisdom for everyday living, that's kind of his gift to the kingdom. He gives this very practical, street smart, general wisdom. That's what he offers, and he does it really, really well. He had this statement. This is really good. So this is from Andy. This isn't from Greg. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Isn't that great? What if instead of not doing something for someone because you feel like you'd have to do it for everyone, what if you just said, you know what, I'm going to do for them what I wish I could do for everyone? And what if everybody in this room did that? For one person or one family. I'm going to do for this person or this family what I really wish we could do for every person in every family. The Samaritan probably, probably couldn't afford to put up everyone in a hotel till they felt better. <laughs> but he could afford to put that person in a hotel. Verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, this is Jesus talking, he asked them the question and then they said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. Jesus is inviting us today through the ever-present voice of Jesus in Scripture that transcends just that moment and bleeds into our life, into our circumstances. He's inviting you. He's inviting me. He's inviting all of us today to live in such a way that allows us to pause and meet the needs of the person in front of us. To be a disciple of Jesus, to be someone who joyfully accepts our God-given limits as a gift from God. And as we learn to live within these limits ourselves, so our lives are not out of control for two extended of times, because everyone's life is going to be out of control at different times and different seasons, just being a human. But if it's always like that, we're always running hot, we don't have resources ample enough to share with other people and to do good for other people and to care for other people. But if we learn to live within our limits, we will be able to do that. And just, I want to end by talking briefly about types of limits God's given us so you can learn to think about these things. One limit that God has given us that we should embrace is the limits of the current season of our family. The ages of your kids. Do you have kids? Are you single? Do you not have kids? Do you have a family that you're caring for? What are the ages of um, your parents? Are the things that you need to tend to for them as you get older? You need to be more attentive to your parents' needs. What's the season of your family life? That is a God-given limit. So planting a church, you know, a lot of the advice is four years ago when we started this, you just have to do 
everything. You have to try to meet every need. You don't have the luxury of being picky about what you're doing. If someone has a need, you gotta do it. And we were like, we've got two daughters that we want them to like us. Our goal is that we all like each other when they move out of the house. And there's no way that will happen if we do everything. So let's just do an experiment and see if we can do it the way within our limits, the way that we feel God's calling us to lead and not have something every single night, not have activity for everyone and everything, not try to fill your lives with busyness. Let's be reasonable and wise and do a couple of things and see if it works. We'd probably be doing something every night if we didn't have two teenage daughters that we just love to be with. And I don't, Kara and I just won't apologize to anybody for that. And you wouldn't make us do that because that's one of our God-given limits in this season. We have all the time in the world to do stuff when they graduate. We'll probably be vis- visiting them though. We like our kids. Another limit, embrace the limits of your resources. Some of us have more resources than others of us. And there's people who gladly carry the mantle and the weight of that in this church. Again, you've heard me say this before, there are people who are very generous that we are allowed to do do things here. We are enabled to do things for families. We're able to be in a place like this because there are a handful of families in this church that are doing what they can with their resources for the kingdom. Not everybody can do that, but everyone is serving and contributing in some way. We should not be trying to serve in the way that somebody else is serving or to give in the way that somebody else is giving or to provide certain resources in a way that somebody else is providing resources because that's unique to each of us. It's particular to our situation, to, the, to our limitations and resources. Embrace the limits of your resources. And finally, embrace the limits of your personal capacities as a human being. We talked about this at at, uh, Best Western. You know we each have different capacities as a human, right? The funny thing is in church sometimes we try to make each other have the, the largest capacity and then we get down on them when they're not doing everything like, every, like other people are. So let's, I've heard this compared to a dinner plate versus a little, let's say a dessert saucer, like a dessert dish. Some people have dinner plate capacities, like dinner platter, let's say, capacities. There's this, there used to be this buffet that we go to called Duff's. Does anybody remember Duff's? They had these really, really big dinner platters, and I would just fill things on that platter with food. Like it would be stuffing and turkey and jello and mashed potatoes and green beans. Some of you, that's your capacity. You can do a lot. Some of us can fit a little piece of pie on our dessert dish. This is actually probably me. I have, a, I have a smaller capacity than a lot of you who can manage a lot of things without going crazy. You have to know what your capacity is. That's a God-given limitation. For me to look at other pastors or other people who have the dinner platter things and say, I gotta be a dinner platter guy, would do violence to me and to my family and to you and to this church. But if I can say, no, I know who I am, I know where my strengths are, I know where my giftings are, I know what my capacities are, and I'm gonna just kinda stay within there. If God wants to change things, he can, he can, if he wants to change leadership, he's happy to do that. I'm happy for him to do that, but this is who I am, and I cannot compromise this without doing damage to somebody. 
Some of you are over here, and you can do a lot. And what you have to be careful of is looking down at people who are the smaller capacities because they're bringing things into the world that you can't. You're bringing things into the world that they can't. Know your own capacities and just, just be with people without judging them. Let's just do that. Do what you can, serve how you can, be involved how you can without judging other people's involvement in service. Fair enough. That'd be a fun church to be a part of. To get together knowing you're not being judged by anybody for where you're involved or how you're involved or how you're serving. Know your own capacities. Know your own God-given limits. And enjoy them. I like being just the little dessert dish. It's kind of fun. The more we learn to embrace our God-given limits, the more available we will, will be to see the needs first of the people around us and to meet those needs out of the overflow of our own lives. But you gotta be aware of your limits and then you gotta embrace them. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.